Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you for joining me uh, on this Hardcore Leadership Podcast. It's such an incredible uh, honor to, to have you as my guest. I really do feel like you are my guest, and I'm, I'm honored to have you. And uh, thank you for uh, just your support and your listenership. You know, there's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great day. I don't care what you're going through. You have to make it a great day. You have to choose to make it a great day. Don't let circumstances, uh, whatever situation you may be going through, do not allow it to stop you from having the perspective that there is greatness in, in you and there's greatness in whatever you're going through and that you can overcome it. You can you can uh, rise above it. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're dealing with, there is a solution. There's a strategy uh, to your success. You know, before we get started, I was reading something um, in in the book of James, and, and you know, I don't I don't really try to get on here and uh, preach much, but just want to encourage you just a little bit. It says, "Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger." And I just want to encourage you, if you're listening out there, you know, just slow down a bit before you come to a conclusion. Don't try to just jump to a conclusion. Maybe walk to it. Maybe crawl to it. Maybe just uh, find out all of the facts and all of the figures before you try to jump in and 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 try to really say, uh, okay, this is the deal. I know what this is. No, be slow to speak and slow to anger. Just because a thought pops in your head does not mean that you have to automatically uh, give way to it and, and give an action uh, because of that thought. But I am so super excited today. I have an incredible guest with me today. Uh, his name is Corey Hughes. Corey L. Hughes, born on Chicago's South Side in 1977. Corey Hughes moved to Arlington, Texas while he was in junior high school. After graduating from high school in Arlington, he attended Southwest Bible University in Bolivar, Missouri. Corey earned his Bachelor's of Science in Biology from SWBU in 2000. After college, Corey headed to Galveston, Texas to visit his mother, a traveling nurse. While there in Galveston, he obeyed God's call to begin to serve him and became an ordained minister in the African Methodist Episcopal Church in 2003. He followed Pastor Michael Bell from Gaveston to Dallas, where he founded and headed New Direction Christian Worship Center for four years. In addition to traveling as a motivational speaker, Corey owns and operates Tax Nation and two other diverse businesses in the North Texas area. In his new book, It Had to Happen, which will be available soon, the father of four expounds on his experiences with brokenness, molestation, realizing his purpose, hitting the reset button, and charging forward after false starts. Please welcome Corey Hughes. All right, man, that's uh, that's quite a bio, but the uh, thing about it is that what many people don't know is, is I kind of picked up your story in uh, about 95, 96 yeah. when we met each other. So everybody, let's welcome Corey Hughes to the show. All right. I mean, I guess you can clap for yourself. That's... Well, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited to be <laughs> on the show, thing. man. That's yeah, what it is. You should be excited. You know, it's a. I'm, I'm glad that you were able to do it. Thank you, man. I appreciate that, brother. Uh, so, so I talked about your your upbringing in in the bio, uh, and it was just really brief that uh, you were born on the South Side in Chicago, 
and moved here to Arlington, Texas, where we're taping this. What, 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 uh, what, that's a big change. What happened? So, man, my, my folks, my dad uh, my, got a job um, and decided to come to uh, Texas. My mom went to nursing school, and her first full-time employment was here in Arlington at um, the hospital uh, next to Dalworth, which um, mm-hmm. I, I think it was called Arlington Medical Center or something like that. Okay. So then we came here, man. We've just been here ever since. Wow. Okay, so your, your mother uh, decided to move here as a nurse. Was that a big change? Because, you know, for those who don't know, <laughs> Southside in Chicago and Arlington are two completely different worlds, especially in the 90s. Uh, Arlington was, it's, it's still a suburb, Arlington, Texas, that is still a suburb, but, you know, uh, it was really uh, more, uh, it's been urbanized over the years. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, you know, the reality is uh, moving from Southside Chicago to coming to Arlington, it was a drastic change, but some of the components were the same. Uh, because when we came to Arlington, of course, we came to uh, where the black folks matriculated in Arlington. And so that was a that was uh, cool to be, still be around our people. But it was a culture shock. Yeah. Uh, but the good thing about it is we felt safe. Um, uh, I felt like I could walk the streets in Arlington and not have to worry about too many things. Uh, it kind of changed over the years, but when we moved here, it was, I thought it was a good change. Um, the truth of the matter is I was upset when we left Chicago, but as I look back over my life, I'm grateful that uh, my mom made the decision to come here and God planted us here. Where was your father? He was a truck driver. So mom and dad went through a divorce. Uh, he was on the road driving trucks and... Um, you know, that was that was another part of the transition. Uh, I went from having mom and dad at home to not only experiencing the a different landscape in my, my life as far as the family structure, but now I'm also in a different state. So that was quite challenging, but, you know, we had to make the adjustment. Mm-hmm. How many siblings do you have? Well, my, <laughs> that's an interesting question, man. Uh, Tar, you remember that song, Papa Was a Rolling Stone? Mm-hmm. Wherever he laid his hat was his home. Yeah. But when he died. Yeah. Only left. So my dad uh, had uh, a total of 18 children. Okay. Yeah. And so, but my mom and dad together uh, had six children. Okay. And so uh, of the six, I'm the oldest. You're the oldest of yeah. the six. So that mm-hmm. kind of gave you uh, that protective nature that, that uh, the one that has to be in charge of everything, take care of everything. And, you know, yeah, absolutely. Them, uh, so I, I, I really understand that. Uh, me myself being um, the firstborn of, of, of my mother's children, you know, she there's only two of us. But being the firstborn, you know, you're you're the first to experience a lot. Uh, you see your 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 mother in, in sometimes a different way than than your siblings do because you remember the younger version of them before the siblings came along. So it's it's kind of interesting um, just to to see that. So uh, okay, so. After you you moved here, now you're 18, and now you're a father. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Uh, what was that experience like? You know, uh, honestly, I was um, I was raised not to be afraid of too many things. Okay. But uh, having a child uh, was probably the most fearful thing that I've ever experienced in life. Understandable. One of the reasons it was fearful was because I was young. Um, 
I didn't necessarily get to see fatherhood emulated in my life. Um, I came up kind of rough. Um, and also, man, I, I had opportunities to go play college football places. Mm-hmm. You know, I was offered uh, scholarships to University of Minnesota, University of Michigan, University of Texas. And so when I found out I had a daughter. What position? Uh, so I played wide receiver um, in, in high school in Arlington. Uh, just FYI, scored three touchdowns against Bowie. That's a whole other story. That's a, a, a re- irrelevant story. But, but keep, well, keep going. Okay, please. my bad, my bad. So um, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, I went to Bowie High School, so that's why he chooses to bring up this pointless information. But please you know, continue. You know, I, I, you know, know, I thought it had substance and relevance, relevance, but uh, I don't want to kill your story. But ex- ex- please go. No, no, no worries, no worries. So uh, that happened, and um, I, I will never forget the moment that she told me that she was pregnant, and. Uh, how I felt, how um, many emotions went through my body at the time. But like any other thing in life, I made the adjustment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you still go to school and play football? So, um, no, I didn't. Um, I declined the scholarship from University of Texas because, you know, just to be quite honest with you, Antar, you know, my father wasn't around. And now I find out that I've got a child. And so I wanted to be here uh, for my daughter. And so I made the sacrifice. I made the decision to stay home, to get a job and work for the first year. And uh, I stayed home and, um, you know, it was it was a challenge to see so many of my peers and friends and classmates go off to college and play football and have to read about them in the newspaper. And um, yeah, but, you know, God is faithful, man. I'll never forget. I was sitting at home after my daughter was born. She was about seven to eight months. And I got a call from a school in Mississippi, and um, they said they heard I was sitting at home and offered me a scholarship, and I went and played college football. Oh, wow. That's really good, man. Yeah. You know, it, on the bio I just read, you know, it says you went to uh, uh, Southwest uh, Baptist University, mm-hmm. and you studied biology. That's a little-known fact for, for even those of us who know you. Yeah. What made you study biology? So my mom is in the medical field, my aunt was in the medical field, my uncle's in the medical field, and I just thought, you know, I wanted to kind of carry on that torch of being in the medical field, so I chose biology, uh, a very challenging uh, course of study, but but I overcame it and I got my degree in biology, and uh, you know, initially when I graduated, I thought about going to medical school, Uh, but you know, I had opportunity to play football. Um, and, you know, get looked at and do some things on the next level. And uh, unfortunately, injury kind of hindered me from doing that. But I still accomplished that in spite of having children, in spite of being from Chicago and coming from a broken home. I still was able to get my college degree um, in biology. Yeah. So you got your college degree in biology. Yeah. And now you run one of the largest uh, tax preparation companies in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, that's a pretty big jump. That's, that's two completely different worlds. Yep. Uh, for you, those of you who, who may or may not know, uh, Tax uh, Nation uh, is the uh, company that is owned by uh, Corey and, and his family. Uh, and, and, uh, it's an incredible company. You, why did you choose to go into the tax business, first of all? Well, uh, you know, the honest answer to that is I think maybe the tax business chose me. Okay. Uh, And what I mean by that is when I came out of college, I did the corporate thing. Um, 
But I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I've always been a free spirit. I've always had a desire to not only empower myself financially, but empower others financially. So um, I started a couple of companies, <clears throat> had a lot of success. The economy happened. A friend of mine came to me in 2011 and said, hey, Corey, have you thought about doing taxes? And my first answer was, not only have I not thought about doing taxes, I haven't done my taxes. <laughs> um, but what I discovered is um, that taxes is a recession-proof industry, that everybody listening to this podcast, everybody watching on social media, everybody in this room, by law, is required to do taxes. Yeah, so over the years, one of the skill sets that I developed was being able to communicate with people effectively. Uh, I developed a concept of sales uh, that I call relational sales. And so I try to establish and build relationships with people. And I think the reality is anytime you're dealing with sales, people do business with people that they trust and people that they like. And so because I developed that skill set, I thought, well, everybody has to do taxes. I think really it's just a matter of convincing you to do taxes with me. And so my first year I started doing taxes, I had a lot of success. And my second year, I started Tax Nation and um, the rest is history. How many locations do you all have? Uh, total satellite included 13 locations. Wow. That's, uh, that's a really big deal. And, and um, you know, there are a lot of people who, especially around the beginning of the year, say, hey, do your taxes with me. You know, they, everybody has this tax thing now. Mm -hmm. uh, how, what is, what is the misconception, rather, of people who want to, to jump into this kind of business? Because a lot of people think they do it. They can get on QuickBooks or they can download a software. What's the, the biggest misconception? Is that indeed it? that I just answered. Yeah, you just answered. The, the, the biggest misconception is everybody thinks that they can do it. Now, you know, just because you learn how to drive a vehicle doesn't mean you'll be successful at driving an 18-wheeler. Okay. It takes a different skill set to maneuver, uh, so on and so forth. And, you know, I know one of the things that we don't do, especially on this podcast, is try to over-spiritualize things. But I tell people all the time, um, a spider moves around very easily on a spider web. Because as it moves, it secretes an oil. And, and the reason I bring up a spider web is because what I've discovered is the very thing that we get stuck in, the spider can move on freely. Mm -hmm. And the reason he can move on is because there's an oil that he releases as he moves. Sometimes we make it look easy. Sometimes the, the people that have success, we make it look easy, but it's because we're gifted at it, we're skilled at it, we put enough time and energy um, Spiritually, we're anointed for it. From a professional perspective, we spend time going to conferences, educating ourselves, understanding the trend of the market. And if you don't invest in your craft, um, then you're not serious about it. And these, you know, overnight sensations as it relates to tax season, uh, they, they get in because of the very fact that I said everybody has to do their taxes. So the market is huge. Um, but it's just not as easy as people think it is. And to be able to open 13 locations to service well over 7,000 clients, that's not something that happens overnight. That's something that took time, energy, effort, sacrifice, trials and tribulations. It takes tribulations. a lot of work. A lot of work, brother. Hey, and, and, and if you're listening, you, you actually, you know, you do taxes on the side. I'm not I'm not knocking your hustle or anything. I want you to go out and do it. But I, but I, I want to uh, demystify or debunk some of the myths that people have, not not just in the tax business, but running your own company, running your own business, being an entrepreneur, 
being a leader that is not as easy as you think. It's not as easy as somebody who has been in the game, quote unquote, for years will make it look because, I mean, you put in your hard work, you put in your sacrifice, you put in your late nights, you put in your sleepless nights and may still have those. But somebody who is coming in or who may see you from the outside you know, they may say, oh, well, it doesn't look that difficult. It doesn't look that hard. I think I can do it. You know, a friend of mine told me I, all I need to do is this. Yeah, but they didn't tell you the struggle that it takes. You know, it's, it's sometimes, you know, uh, opening up a new business is like climbing a mountain with a boulder on, on your leg. And, and some you don't, you don't get a chance to see that, especially in this social media age world. People don't generally take pictures of the struggle. They only take pictures of the successes. And that's so key, uh, Anton. I tell people that the businesses that succeed are the businesses that survive the struggle. Yeah. Uh, are the businesses that survive the lean years or the businesses that survive betrayal or the shift in the market. And so oftentimes when people talk to me about entrepreneurship and desire for me to coach them, one of the things I ask them is, are you equipped uh, for the struggle? Do you have, is perseverance one of your strong characteristics? Do you have tenacity? Because the reality is uh, social media, you're correct, social media makes things look so easy these days. People only take pictures of the successes, you're absolutely correct, but they don't talk to you about the times when there's a budget shortfall or when you don't get funded or when you lose a, a large client or when a contract doesn't fall through. And so that defines who you are as an entrepreneur, what you deal with and how you deal with it and how you bounce back from the fall. Because the reality is every great entrepreneur has had a fall. Every great entrepreneur has had a season where they wasn't sure things were going to work out. The numbers weren't adding up. The staff wasn't, you know, cooperating. Customers weren't coming. And you got to be able to survive through that dry season, through that the season of being unsure. Those valleys. Those valleys. You got to be able to survive the valleys. Those valleys are going to come regardless of the marriage, regardless of the company, regardless of anything that you're going to be great in. The valleys are going to come. The valleys are part of success. If you don't have the valleys, you don't appreciate the mountains Mm. because you think that this is normal, that, that this euphoric mountaintop experience is normal. But you only appreciate the mountain because you have to go through the valley. And so that's what I really want to convey to some people that whatever you're trying and hoping and and aspiring to do, that a struggle, the struggle, the journey is part of it. That that is part your your par for the course. If you felt like giving up, if you felt like quitting, if you felt like throwing in a towel, good. That just means that that's going to help build your story for when you do succeed that you can point back to those days and say, I've succeeded in spite of having those days. Those days make me appreciate more of, of uh, where I am. Here's something else too, and, and you can of course chime in on this. I heard a great man say years ago that sometimes you can be quote unquote there and it not feel like it. Hmm. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. You can be, quote unquote, there at this mountaintop, but you don't feel like it, A, because you're so tired from climbing up on the mountain, and B, because it takes so much work to maintain the success, you don't realize you are there where you prayed for, where you worked for, 
you are there, but it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't look like it because you thought when you get there, everything will be good. It'll be nice and easy. It'll be smooth. Now you'll be eating grapes from the vine. No, mm. there's still a, 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 a great deal of work and grind that it takes to maintain the, the success just as much as it took to get the success. Would you agree? Uh, not only would I agree, but let me just tell you, man. Sometimes we, we're so busy trying to leave there to get here, but we don't really understand with getting here comes more responsibility, yep. right? Um, comes more problems, comes more struggle. Um, you know, someone may look at a, a person, you know, going back to the tax business, Antar, somebody that has one office may look at me and say, man, that dude got 13 offices, man, I, I want to get to where he's at. But what they don't realize is that with 13 offices comes 13 mortgages and 13 insurance payments and uh, 13, uh, you know, monthly payments of gas and electricity and problems and everything else. And so um, one of the greatest things that I think that I was told in my life by a great man was simply this. Enjoy the journey. Wherever you are, enjoy that journey. Set a goal and enjoy the process of getting to that goal. Because me personally, I think the valley that most people try to avoid is what makes me appreciate the valley makes you appreciate the mountaintop better. Absolutely. See, the deeper the valley, when you finally get to that mountaintop, which is 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 there, um, you appreciate being there, but you realize now there's a, there's another level for you to go to. And it, it it does not it doesn't always feel like what people make you think it feels like. Right, not at all. It doesn't. Because, again, to your statement, you got 13 mortgage payments. You got employees there. There is more stress on you now, I guarantee you, because in every location you have employees who not only are they counting on you, their families are counting on them, so thus they're counting on you. So before you go out and you say, oh, well, I want to have this great company. I want to do this. I want to do that. I think you should be prepared for success. Everybody has a fallback plan. Nobody has a fall-up plan. That's right. What what do you do when it succeeds? How am I going to maintain a level of sanity when I get to everything I've been praying for, hoping for, working for? Once I get there, am I ready for it? Right. That's that's a big thing. Uh, uh, Quickly, let me ask you this. So... As a leader, I, I try to ask these three questions on every uh, podcast. As a leader, what is one of your biggest pet peeves? Oh, man. Oh, man. All right. <laughs> there, eh? Yeah. You know, I think uh, one of my greatest pet peeves is uh, over-promising and under-delivering. Absolutely. Um, I had a conversation with uh, one of my good friends yesterday, and I told him, I said, listen, I would rather you tell me it's going to be here Friday and it get here Wednesday. Then you tell me it's going to be here Monday and you make excuses to why you can't get it done until Friday. As an entrepreneur and in this business world, one of the things, one of the most valuable assets and commodities that you have outside of time is your word. And so one of my pet peeves is somebody not being able to fulfill, perpetually fulfill their word. 
because that now that means I can't count on you. And anybody that's been in entrepreneurship, you know that sometimes you bank a lot of things just on somebody's word, whether it's marketing, whether it's funding, whether it's an employee showing up to open up your office, whether it's an employee staying extra to close the office or whatever it is. One of my greatest pet peeves is over-promising and under-delivering. Yeah, that's... Uh that's a real irritant for me. So, uh, pet peeve, same difference. Uh, be of your word. If you're going to do it, do it. I'd rather you appreciate me that that I got something done sooner than being irritated at me for not coming through and not following through. Because it, what ends up happening is you make me either question your judgment, mm -hmm. your judgment, or you make me question my judgment in choosing to believe you. Correct. So, Correct. okay, that's your pet peeve. What is, as a leader, what is uh, your your strength, your your greatest strength, or or the strength that that you know indelibly, indelibly that you have? So I think one of the one of the greatest strengths I have is being able to cast vision, um, and coupled with that, motivate people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I make it a three part. So I think one of my greatest assets is to be able to be able to cast vision, to motivate people, and to pull the best out of people. And I think that's essential in leadership, is being able to show people where you're going, to motivate them to want to get there, and to encourage them that they have the capability of doing exactly what you ask them to do. Absolutely. You know, one of the greatest things you can do as a leader is to inspire people, mm -hmm. to believe in, in themselves will further them to believe in the vision that you have cast as a leader that mm -hmm. they are able to accomplish it. It's not that, okay, uh, I have a vision as the leader that we're going to go north. Mm -hmm. But if me as a team member, if I don't believe in myself, then I'm pretty much like a deflated tire. Right. Now, you can get north, but I don't have enough air in me to support the vision. Mm-hmm. So now it's going to take more effort for us to go north right. because I don't have the air within me to make that happen uh, smoother or better. Mm -hmm. that, make, that makes sense? Absolutely. And I think also a big thing, Antar, is number one, helping them to believe that there is a north. Yeah. <laughs> helping them to understand that there because some of them have been south for so long yep. that they don't believe that there is a north and I think one of the greatest strengths as a leader is helping them to see something that they can't see now absolutely right and you, so you, yeah you, you, to see something bigger to see themselves bigger and 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 to really really believe in you mm -hmm. and your God-given abilities and talents so I don't like to use the word weakness mm -hmm. because I feel like it's uh, always an area of improvement. As a leader, what is your greatest area of improvement? Uh, I think, wow, interesting. I had this conversation yesterday as well. I think one of the greatest areas of improvement for me is not leading with my heart. Uh, because sometimes I need to make a head decision and I make a heart decision. Uh, because I love people, because I, I, I always try to see the best in people. What I've discovered is that sometimes I, I guess I'll put it like this, sometimes I'll keep milk in the refrigerator even though I know it's expired. Um, sometimes I'll keep people around knowing that they've gone as far as they can, they can go. And the heart in me desires and hopes better for them than they're able to perform. And so um, my weakness has been, number one, 
leading with my heart. And number two, hiring people that have the capacity to get north. Yeah. Uh, some people I've hired have had the capacity to go halfway. And I'm frustrated because they're not going the whole way. But it's really part of my issue because I didn't do a great job in the beginning of assessing them with my head and with measurables, but I did it out of my heart. And so in this season, uh, I'm trying to find that balance of, you know, loving and believing in people, but also understanding that um, this industry, this business that I have, or these multiple businesses that I have, I've got to uh, make some executive decisions um, that may not necessarily feel good in my heart. Well, the problem sense. is when you interview with somebody, you don't know that they can't go there because everybody's going to tell you, oh, yeah, we can get there. That's right. not a problem. Oh, I can make that happen. All right. Right. Yeah. But then you come to find out yeah, you 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 really can't. Right. And and so you showed me your representative and then you end up hiring and working with the true uh, essence of who somebody really is. Uh, you, you're part of an organization called uh, the uh, Black Cross, but Black American American Black Cross, huh? American Black Cross. Hey, explain what that organization is. So, uh, of course, many people know that Hurricane Harvey hit um, Houston, Puerto Rico, Virgin Islands pretty hard. A group of us got together and decided we wanted to help, and so uh, we created an organization called the American Black Cross because many people know that the American Red Cross were underserving our neighborhoods. And so we decided to put together um, a humanitarian project to go in and, and serve communities that look like us. Wow. Do you, uh, how can we find out more information about that? So, yeah, you can just follow us on Facebook, uh, the, the American Black Cross, or go to the website, theamericanblackcross.org. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it has reached well over uh, fifty to 70,000 people. Uh, we raised well over 12 to $15 million worth of unused product that we've distributed across the country. And so it's well documented, the, the impact and the reach that this organization has had. And so it's pretty easy to find us. And um, our hashtag is, uh, it's on us. You know, we'll show up. That is truly, truly, uh, that's truly the case. It is on us. Uh, final two things before we wrap up. Uh, there's a, perhaps a mother listening to this podcast and, and, you know, her son is maybe getting in trouble or maybe he's going through those terrible teenage years. Maybe it's even her daughter. And so she don't really understand or uh, really see uh, improvement. Then hmm. um, maybe it's a father as well. In encourage that parent uh, who has this son and or daughter um, and uh, who, who is kind of struggling with them right now. Encourage them um, just just briefly uh, uh, on just how to hold on. Well, you know, it's very interesting you ask that question because um, most of the time when I talk to parents, I, I simply ask them to do this exercise. And it is uh, to jog their memory of what they were like at the age of this problem child. Uh, and so, of course, you know. We came up together. Um, we were two, le two completely different people at 14, 15, 16, 18. I, I'm pretty open with the fact that, you know, when I was in college, I was, you know, drug dealing and gang banging and doing all the things that run most parents crazy. Uh, but 20 years later, uh, I've had the opportunity to meet Oprah and meet the president of the United States to impact a lot of people. And so uh, I think what I would encourage them to do is never give up. And to remember what you were like when you were uh, that age 
and um, what would have happened if people would have gave up on you or threw on the towel on you. Uh, everybody kind of matriculates and matures at their own rate. And so as long as you continue to shower them with love and respect and teach them life lessons, um, don't ever lose hope in your child because they, they are an image of you. Uh, and if you can grow and if you can succeed, you've got to trust and believe that the same God that protected you will protect them. It's your job just to be like Motel 6 and always keep the lights on for them. Amen. Um, now, there's a son and or daughter uh, struggling, going through something right now. They don't see now we're in our 40s. They don't believe that this exists for them. Hmm. They think that they've made so many mistakes as a teenager. That, that life will never pan out for them uh, according to maybe what they want. Maybe they, they want to go into football. Maybe they want to go into nursing. Maybe they want to just do something different than their circumstances. Speak to that young man or young woman right now. Well, again, uh, I would simply say this. Um, we got a plant here in Arlington called GM, and uh, they got an assembly line. And you got to understand that whenever GM creates a product, there's a purpose connected to that product. And I would tell every teenage young boy, or young girl that when God created you, he created you with a purpose. And you may go through, you know, different hands. You may go through different circumstances, different situations. But ultimately, what you cannot do is give up and quit and throw in the towel because um, you, 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 if you do that, then what you're doing is you're, you're, you're eliminating your potential to become what the what the original architect of life intended for you to be. Yep. And so um, it may not appear what you will be now. I remember being 14, 15, 16. Uh, I remember going back, Antarctica, when I was 18 and discovered that I had a daughter. Uh, I thought that I would never be able to become what I desired to become, but but God had a way of fixing it. And, and doors begin to open for me that I never imagined to open. And so I would just say, keep living. My grandmother would say, keep allowing the sun to rise and set. And uh, you got to trust that he who started a good work in you will perform it. He'll, he'll bring it to pass. And so you never give up. Never give up. Never throw in a towel and keep pressing. Father of 18, uh, father at 18. No, not at, not of 18. Yeah. <laughs> father at 18, um, now a successful businessman entrepreneur, uh, Corey Hughes, incredible interview. Thanks so much, man, for coming. Appreciate you, brother. Absolutely. Right. Thanks, my man, uh, Corey Hughes, for being on today's show. If you want more information about him, you can go to CoreyHughes.com, C-O-R-Y-H-U-G-H-E-S.com. If you want more information about the Hardcore Book, you can go to my website, AntarMuhammad.com, or you can also order the book from Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com. For my Kubu readers, you can uh, download it on Kubu. You can also download it on Apple iBooks as well. Again, thank you so much for your listenership. Thank you for uh, being a, a, great, um, a great friend uh, and supporter of this podcast. Maybe you have an idea. Maybe you have a guest. Maybe you are interested in being a guest on the Hardcore Leadership Podcast. You can email me, antarfm1 at gmail.com. Again, antarfm1, A-N-T-A-R-F-M-1, like the radio <laughs> dials, fm1 at gmail.com. Until next time, take care and God bless.